It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. There's a growing loneliness epidemic, and while we appear to be more connected than ever, many are lonelier than ever before. Why do we struggle to find the human connection we seek? Today's guest, Christy Tate, believes that it's important for females to consciously recognize and elevate their friendship bonds. After realizing her life was a friendship graveyard, Christy embarked on a brutally honest exploration of her friendships, sorting through the ways she kept the lasting bond she craved out of reach. She joins us today to talk about the power of friendship. Christy is the author of the New York Times bestseller group, which was a Reese's Book Club selection. She has been published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Chicago Tribune, among others. Her new book is BFF, A Memoir of Friendship, Lost and Found. Welcome, Christy. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Christy, we are so connected today. We're connected more than we have ever been, and yet we're lonelier than we've ever been. What do you think is happening in our relationships today? I think being connected is different than being intimate and having deep and meaningful connections. That's been my experience. I can I can open up my phone and I can like someone's picture, but I can't necessarily show them who I am, what I'm afraid of, what's really under the surface of a tiny picture on their phone. And I think the combination of being less meaningfully connected and being able to look at other people's lives and project onto them, they when I look at my friends' pictures, I can't see their loneliness, I can't see their heartache, I can't see their physical struggles. So it's easy to feel actually more isolated with all this connection if it's not undergirded by like true intimacy. Mm -hmm. I remember, Christy, years ago when texting was starting to become popular and my sons who were in high school at the time would text their friends and I would joke with them saying, why don't you just call them and make the plans, you know, to go to the movies instead of 30 texts. And then as time went on and I discovered texting, I I realized that it was a a quick way to communicate with someone. You didn't really have to deal with the person. But now, you know, not dealing with the person is doing everything that you just described. We're not having meaningful relationships. Yeah, it's really tempting to shortcut the messiness of true intimacy and connection. A text can can ease communication. It can move things along quickly. But I have found that there's a price to pay for that. And I'm I'm not interested now in everything being quick and easy to resolve. Like, For me, the mess and the muck of having to hear someone sigh and wait to find their words and the essence of them, that had been dropped out of text. And now it's just too high of a price to pay. I I could no longer bear the loneliness. So now I'm one of those people who will actually pick up the phone to the horror of Mm -hmm. some of my friends. But (laughs) we're coming all the way, you know, everything bends back around and people are, are 
are really appreciating, like, let's slow down. Let's, yeah. let's have this conversation instead of the bullet text going back and forth, which are funny. They make me laugh. And I don't feel, I don't feel fully disconnected, but it's not the same as the greater intimacy of the phone or in person. I started doing the same thing when I catch myself. If someone texts me and I catch myself responding, I'll call them and I'll say, you know, I was just going to text you. And then I thought, let me hear your voice. And I think Mm. if we start to get back to doing those simple little things that were so common in our lives, I think you're right. It's going to make a big difference in our relationships. Yes, I definitely think that there's a balance, right? Texting is great for making the initial plan. But once, once I find myself doing the work of a relationship that's any level deeper than making a plan of what time and where and the pin for where the restaurant is, anything deeper, I have to ask myself, am I hiding from a real conversation? Could there be more here? Am I just taking from the buffet the cheese and I've missed the prime rib and, mm-hmm. the, and the delicious dessert? I don't, I don't want an all-cheese diet, which is a terrible metaphor, but that's how it feels. Right, right. So let's back up a little bit. You were doing self-evaluation and you realized that you were experiencing a friendship graveyard. What did that mean to you at the time and, and how did that realization change your life? Yeah, I looked around, a friend of mine had asked me, you know, once I got settled romantically, which took a couple decades, and, whew, you know, I found a sane and healthy partner, so then I was like, oh, I'm set, and somebody asked me a question, like, well, now you can work on your friendship, and it was so jarring, and I looked back, and there were these wonderful women and wonderful girls, because my pattern started when I was a young girl, that I could be close for a moment in time, but I couldn't hold on. And I didn't have long-term friendships. And it bothered me because I knew I knew that was a thing. People had friends from high school, college, grade school. And I just, I was a cut and runner. And for lots of different reasons, I was a ghoster. I ghosted people. And none of that made me proud, but I just, didn't know how to fix it. So I just kept hoping it would magically get better as I got older. But what I was finding, I got to the age of 37. And if it was going to magically get better, it probably would have by then. And I was going to have to do some concerted, specific work around friendships, exactly like I had done around romantic relationships. I wasn't going to get to skip the work and magically know how to be a long lasting and loving friend. So do you think, and I want to just touch on the romantic relationship part, do you think that when you were in search of that romantic partner, that that was your priority? And I ask that because I do know someone who right now is so focused on finding a partner, which is a wonderful thing to have, but it is totally her priority and friendships are pushed to the side. And do you think that was something you were doing? And do you think a lot of women do that? Speaking for myself, that's 100% what I did starting from the age of 17 and I got my first serious boyfriend. I felt, I've wondered about that. Like, it's so, I mean, there, there, there's like popular cultures, like, don't ditch your friends for your boyfriend. And I did it over and over again, in part because very deep fear that if I didn't get a partner, I was going to die alone. And that sounds drastic, but that's how I talked to myself about the project of being single. And I also felt like my female relationships, I didn't know that I was 
allowed to prioritize them. I had the idea that they should just be natural. And if they didn't, if the what, the, what I was supposed to work for was that romantic relationship. It was, I mean, it's terrible to say I was a feminist. I went to law school. I really, you know, I, I thought of myself as someone who was very progressive, but my feelings and thoughts on this were so deeply rooted there was no getting around my deep conviction that I could do friendship once I had locked down a romantic relationship that was going to be my person. And then I could turn to friendship. And I had no idea it was going to take me 35 years to get myself romantically sorted out. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely was a priority, which was a real mistake Mm-hmm. on so many levels, not the least of which, and I remember my therapist told me this, and I did not believe him. He said, if you work on your female friendships, your friendships, you'll be learning about intimacy, and it will help you when you get into a romantic relationship. And I was like, no, 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 no. You focus on getting me a boyfriend. Don't talk to me about friendship. I wouldn't even hear it. I wanted all my resources to go to this romantic project. And it, it kind of breaks my heart. I missed decades of friendship because I was so busy thinking I had to really only focus on the romance. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it's a real, it's a real regret I have. And, you know, I'm listening to you and it, it's so similar to what I did, Christy, because I got married after college and then I devoted all of my attention to my husband and my family. And that was all. And I let the friendships go to the side for 21 mm-hmm. years until I lost sense of who I was as a woman and as a person, and then I ended up getting divorced. And and to be honest, I was blessed to have had some friends that were there through all of those years, even though we weren't as close as we once were, because they were my lifeline. They saved me after my divorce. And so I agree with you, no matter what the reason that we push our friends to the side, I think it's really important that we recognize their role in our lives and, and how, like you said, what they bring to us all of those years, those things that we've both missed. Absolutely. I remember the morning, you know, I had been working so hard in therapy and in recovery and in my life to have a healthy romantic relationship because I wanted a partner and I wanted a family. And the day after my wedding, I was pregnant. I loved my husband. I was happy the wedding was over. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, my God, I felt this deep fear. Like, I don't want to be I don't want our lives to just be the two of us and, and the babies that we're blessed with. I was so clear from like within 24 hours of being married and he was taking a nap because we were exhausted after a wedding. And I just called all my friends like, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just married. Please don't. Leave. I was so worried about a loneliness creeping in because I knew I knew my pattern was drop the friends for the man. And I was just I wanted to make it explicit like a manifesto and let my friends know. And they were all like, we got you. We're not going to let you disappear. And they didn't, which was great. Cause I had, I still had a lot of work to do, but I was very clear that if it was just going to be me and my husband, I was not going to be able to stay in the marriage. I would have been too, it, I'm a lot. I'm a lot. I'm too much for one person. <laughs> so I really just, and I need more. I need, I can, I love him. And he, he is, one of my people, but my friends are also my people. And I'm so happy I learned that lesson. It was late in life, but it, I'm glad it wasn't too late. Mm-hmm. Are you going through a process now of kind of evaluating the friends that you do have and seeing which ones are 
the ones that are best for your mental health that are that are, I don't want to say the keepers, but are the ones that are your people. Because I have surrounded myself with people that are my people, you know, girls that are my my girls that we go through life with. And then I've tried to hold on to some relationships purely because I think they're comfortable and they're safe, but they're not necessarily mm-hmm. the best ones for me. Have you done some of that analysis to see who are the ones that you want to continue the rest of your life with? Yes, I have. I'm very happy to hear you say that because as as much space as I want to make for friendship, there are only so many hours in a day. There's only so much energy I can put forth toward any relationships in any category. And what has surprised me about this process is for many years, I think I, I looked at friends like, you know, I go to group therapy. I make friends there. I'm in recovery and 12 step. And I think I have always thought, well, those, that's the place where I'm going to find my real friends. And for many years, that was true. What I have discovered in this latest period of discernment is just because someone isn't in the kind of therapy I go to or isn't in recovery in the way that I am, doesn't mean they can't be close to me. And I've really had this great awakening and great sense of pleasure in letting people who I've met through my kids' school or through the writing world or through um, other, my neighbors, like, I think I've kept people at a distance because I was like, oh, God, I do all these things for my mental health and you wouldn't understand. And that was the only place I knew how to connect. And now I'm finding, I don't know, I just feel more expansive in this way. And it's become interesting because, like you said, some of the relationships I held on to because we were in the same mental health groups, those have turned out not to be the healthiest. I just assumed they were because we were in this common enterprise of recovery, and that is not necessarily the case. And it's been a real paradigm shift for me that's brought more people into my life and different people and other people who have been in the center have kind of receded because we can't just rest on these like pat ideas about what we do and how we move through the world. It's, it's been fascinating. And I think one of the things you had mentioned earlier that one of our false assumptions about friendships is, is that it just happens. And it's a lot of mm. work. You have to put the same kind of work into a friendship as you would any type of relationship. I, I recently saw a video with Jane Fonda. They were doing media, uh, mm. media tour for the new movie that they have out. And Jane said, we have to be intentional in our relationships. We, we literally have to look at the other person, be persistent and say, I want you in my life. And then you have to work at it. That is true. And I think exactly what has tripped, what tripped me up for many years is I would be in my apartment in Chicago scrolling through social media and I would see women from my high school and they were all together in Mexico. And it just felt like magic, like how'd they do that? How'd they all get there? And I didn't realize when, when people talk about the work of friendship, I was like confused, like what's the work? And maybe there's a better word for it, but what it is is the labor of calling, being in touch, remembering birthdays, making time, going to coffee, going to lunch, having a set schedule, if it's possible to pull that off. And if you don't live in the same town, making efforts to go visit. Like that is the work of friendship, which in many cases is super fun, but it's also easy to shunt aside when we're also building careers and we have kids in middle school and there's lots of 
that's one of the first things that I think many people put to the side because it feels like extra luxury. And my kids probably should take precedent over my friends in many, many instances because I'm their mother. Mm -hmm. But the idea that there's work involved was very confusing for me many years. And now that I have put friendship in a more central place in my life, I understand. It was like, oh, it's when the phone rings and I'm sort of like, "Mm, I'm watching a show or I'm reading a book or I'm on the Peloton, pick up the phone because that's a, that's a bid for connection, as Brene Brown would say. And I don't want to miss those anymore. I mm-hmm. don't, I, I'm not available to let them pass me by. So as we get older, Christy, as we're aging, how can we go about finding new friends and building those types of relationships? Wow, this one I think about all the time. And what, <laughs> I don't know if there's a great way to do this without leaving the house, which I understand the virtue of virtual life, but I have just found for me personally that um, being out in the world, like making friends through, you know, my kids' school. But the truth is, my kids are going to leave the house and I'm not going to be able to ride their coattails by becoming friends with their friends' parents. And I think being involved in the things that I love Having said that I like things in real life, I also have, I'm part of lot, a lot of online writing communities. I have three different writing groups because I really love groups and I love writing. And those women are really, really close to me. And we have committed times and we try to let new people into the group. And so I think it's, I think there's no getting around that it's difficult to make friends. And I think joining things, I'm a group person, obviously. I wrote a book about group, but so I like to join things and then find my people there, be it a writing group, a therapy group, a community group. I recently started volunteering with an organization in Chicago, and I love the people there. And that keeps me coming back. I love the mission, but I also love the people there. And I had to step out of my comfort zone. It's hard to make friends if I just sit in my office doing what I do all day. Mm-hmm. But if I step out one hour a month, it's possible. There's, there's people, there's people right out there. And I always think to myself, there's a really great phrase, um, push off from here. I always think of that. Like, is there someone, is there someone right under my nose that I could connect with? And there almost always is if I'm willing to start. And that's the thing. We have to put ourselves out there and make those connections. As Jane was saying, you have to be intentional and say to someone, I want you in my life and, and really show that person that you do. Yeah, that's a, and even like my husband had a friend over and um, someone I had never met that they live out of town and he brought his wife and I was like, here's an opportunity. I opened the door. I was like, oh, here's an opportunity. This I, I would have missed, you know, back in the years when I was, you know, even more self-absorbed than I am now. And I was like, oh, here's a chance. Here's a connection. And they they live a couple towns over, but. Why couldn't we get together? It's sort of like a shift in mind for, in, in uh, mindset. It's like when I meet someone new, and it doesn't have to be a woman, although I'm seen to be rather fixated on female friendship, but, oh, here's a potential friend. And when I look at the world that way, it turns out people seem a lot more friendly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And probably because I'm putting out a better, a more welcoming vibe. I think that's true because I've noticed when 
I'm involved in a lot of community organizations or different things that you, you go out and you meet someone, you say, hey, you know, we should, we're all common saying, you know, oh, we should grab a drink, we should go for lunch, and then nothing happens. But when you do put it out there and you mean it and you actually schedule it, people are very receptive. They want to go out. They want to share time together. So I think you're right. It's just taking that first step, putting yourself out there and making it happen. That's the key. I think so too. And I last January... In my community, the world was sort of opening up a little more, and there were there were a slew of people to whom I'd seen in the neighborhood and said, oh, we, we can gather again, let's get together. And I thought, I don't want to be a person who's like a let's do lunch person just as a toss-off, And but I was like nervous because I didn't really know these people. And what I did was I made a reservation at a local restaurant and I made a reservation for like 20 and I invited everyone to come. I put everybody on the email. So it was like I was the instigator, but it was lots of people and lots of some people knew each other. Some people didn't. And then I could at least create an opportunity for lots of connection, not even just for myself. Again, I love the group thing, obviously. And it was a wonderful evening. And then we just started doing that somewhat like quarterly. And then it didn't have, sometimes one-on-one can be a little, it's satisfying, but it can be intense. So sometimes a group thing is also a good way to go. And then every, everyone, every single person I invited came. Mm-hmm. I could not believe we were all so ready, so hungry for that connection, exactly what we're talking about. And you just made a great point because I am like you, I'm the initiator. And I know sometimes I'll say to myself, well, why don't they ever call and ask me to do something? But every time I say, let's do something, they say yes. And then I realized that some people are just not comfortable being the initiator, being the organizer, the planner, and other people are. And and it's okay to take those roles in a relationship. It doesn't mean the other person doesn't like you or want to spend time with you. It's just not the role that they're comfortable in. I agree. I have in the past, I've had moments of getting hung up on, well, why can't they think of something to do? And I think you're exactly right. I think people, there are initiators and there are, you know, acceptors. And Mm -hmm. I, whenever I feel myself having initiator energy, I just, I try to capitalize on it because people appreciate it. It's a, it's something that not everyone has the impetus or the willingness or the social skills to do. And I, whenever I feel willing, I'm like, strike while the iron is hot. Make it happen. <laughs> the book is BFF, A Memoir of Friendship Lost and Found. Christy, if our listeners would like to get more information about you and your work, where can they go? Sure. I have a website that has information about my books and my publications and where I'll be on tour. That's ChristyKate.com. Very easy to find. The social media where I mostly hang out talking about books and more books and then some more books. Um, I'm on Instagram, and that's at Christy O'Kate is my Instagram. And Christy, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I would say trust that other people want to get close to you. Everybody's trust that other people are hungry, hungry in the ways that you are, and we could really all just be feeding each other. So why not? Why not extend an invitation? Why not start here today? with some way of putting yourself out there to create a connection because everybody wants it. Christy, thank you so much for spending this time with us and for reminding us about the importance of our friendships and the connection in our lives. It really has been a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is my favorite topic, so I'm, I'm happy I got the chance to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. 
change your attitude, change your life. We believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.